All right, all right, all right, my friends. Hey, so good to see you guys. What a great transition into this. I feel like I was just walking around up here like a chicken with my head cut off. Hey, welcome. You guys, we're back. We're back. Hey, give the person next to you a high five. Tell them they look better in the new year than they did in the old year. That may or may not be true. Hey, if you guys have not um, met me yet, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh. It is the uh, uh, huge privilege and a huge joy to be the young adults pastor here at this community. Hey, before we jump in, I just want to make you guys aware of a couple of different things. I know the new year is something where a lot of folks are maybe coming in, trying church, trying young adults out for the first time. If you are new here to our community, first of all, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, but second of all, we have a little space if you all look behind, turn that way with your heads. Hi, Leanne. Leanne is great, you guys. But if you see that black curtain, right on the other side of that black curtain, we have what we lovingly call the welcome table. Hey, there are going to be some people back there who would love to meet you, shake your hand, get to know your story. We have a little, uh, small little gift for you. Just say thanks for coming by. But um, we want to be an on-ramp for you getting connected here in this community. So one thing. Second thing, if you are a lady in this room, raise your hand. There we go. If you are a lady and would consider yourself like a young professional, raise your hand. Okay, a handful of us. We, we partner, um, obviously we're part of New Life Church here. Um, we are partnering with our women's ministry and they are launching a small group specifically for you. If you are a young professional woman, um, there are some details up there. It's kind of hard to see, but if you want to hear some more information about that, if that kind of piques your interest by getting connected, um, just go talk to someone in the back and we can go ahead and make that happen. All right, hey, I'm actually going to ask us to do something a little different today. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand back up to your feet, just right where you are. Just stand up to your feet. Because we are going to start this new year by doing a, a corporate practice, a corporate discipline, something that has been done in the church for the better part of 2,000 years. We're going to um, be reciting or confessing something together called the Nicene Creed. Now, this is important for what we're doing tonight, but if you're totally unfamiliar with the story of Jesus and the story of the creeds and what we're doing and why we're doing this, the creeds were basically uh, statements of faith, statements of belief. It comes from the Latin word credo, which means to believe and to, to proclaim. And what uh, these were initially is they were crafted as basically the, the building blocks of Christian faith. If you boil it down, if you boil Christians down to the, our, our most basic level, what are the things that we essentially believe? And it was one of the disciplines and tools that the church has used for 2,000 years to make sure that we're all on the same page about following Jesus together. So if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, I'm going to invite you to read out loud with me, and it's going to be great. And if you're just here, and you're just learning, and you're listening, and you're like, okay, what are these Jesus people about, then just read. This is 100% what we're about. Go ahead and throw that first slide up there on the screen. We're going to speak this out together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God eternally begotten from the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. 
For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen and amen. You guys can go ahead and take your seats. Amen. This is what we believe. This is who we are. Why are we starting with this particular declaration today? With the new year, with January, and with the, uh, the start of something fresh, we're going to be jumping into a new sermon series over the next seven, eight weeks called Abide, and it's going to be on spiritual disciplines. We'll be jumping into a series on spiritual disciplines, and what we just did was a spiritual discipline. It was a corporate discipline that we do together to form us into the image of Jesus. And now, let's say we were doing a word association game, uh, and the word discipline comes to your mind. Positive or negative? Most likely negative, right? Most of us, right? I think about me, and I'm like, discipline, discipline, discipline. I think about the things that I'm going to have to go through counseling about one day, right? Like the moments of, like, childhood, like, oh, okay, like, one too many spanks or I, I, whatever it is. But like, like discipline or I think about like the first time I, like I tried to diet. How many of you guys are still on your New Year's resolutions? Well done. <laughs> well done. I think I dropped mine like nine days ago. Um, right? But look, I, I, I think about like, like dieting and we think about like working hard and doing these things to make ourselves better. I think about the very first time that I dieted, um, I was 12 years old and it was awful. And some of you are wondering, why is a 12-year-old dieting? I was doing this, this sports thing, and I, I needed to be 10 pounds lighter than I was in order to carry the ball in recreational football. And I was so excited. It was kind of this weird thing. They didn't want, like, big kids running with the ball. And so I worked so hard, and I, like, and I, like dieted, and I fasted. And then to reward myself, my dad and I went to Denny's at the end because that's what we do at the end of a diet, right, is you, you do things that are just going to take away all of your gains. And I remember sitting there. And enjoying my plate of pancakes and being like, praise God, I never have to do that again. And I remember my dad looked across from me and he said, wow, Josh, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, yes, I'm pretty proud of me too. And he says, you, you, now, like, you've been doing this for the last handful of weeks. You can just live this way now. Like, you never have to go back. And I remember my, my fork just like clinked to the table. I looked up at him. And, and I remember feeling this deep sense of like discontent and fear and like, well, I, I can't, like, like, I literally dieted so that I could eat whatever I wanted. Don't you know how this works? And I think for most of us, right, when we talk about disciplines or spiritual disciplines, it's kind of this, like, foggy, mysterious thing. We maybe know that prayer is involved and there are other things that are involved, like, maybe I should come to church. But I think if we were honest, most of us, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, uh, the main emotion that comes up is, like, we both, at equal ways, feel bad about not doing it, but also we don't really want to do it. And so when we're coming and even talking about spiritual disciplines, um, there's this dynamic that we have to get over, right? And even say, what is 
a spiritual discipline? What even is a discipline uh, in general? I'm going to give you a really easy definition, right? And you all are, are doing disciplines all the time. A discipline is the activity of a disciple. A discipline is the activity of a disciple. And if you look around, the word disciple just means like follower. It means someone who's learning from someone else. So if you're in this room, I promise you, you are a disciple of something and of someone. You are a disciple of Jesus, maybe. You are a disciple of particular cultural movements. Some of us are, right, disciples of like particular business gurus or particular like ways of doing leadership. Or some of us are disciples of Taylor Swift. All right, Taylor Swift disciples. I see you, Victoria. Right, and there are certain things that we do if we're disciples, right? Like if you're a, like a John Maxwell disciple, then you read his books and you throw out random quotes all the time, right? Or if you're like a Taylor Swift disciple, you go to the Eras tour and you also see the movie afterwards, which I don't understand, <laughs> but I'm not a Taylor Swift disciple. These things that we're talking about, spiritual disciplines, these are the practices of what it means and what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. So if you've ever come and you've wondered, okay, I'm trying to follow Jesus. I want to do this thing. How do I do it? Then you're in luck. We'll be talking about that for the next seven to eight weeks. How do we practically follow Jesus? And tonight I want to I give us a lens to look through the next seven or eight weeks on. We're going to be spending our evening in John 15 tonight. We'll read that here in just a moment. But I think for most of us, when we hear the word discipline... Um, we have associations like condemnation or obligation or expectations, right? I had strong expectations to spend an hour a day in prayer or read the Bible every week and then those expectations were maybe not met. I want to give us a new word tonight to see disciplines through. Uh, and that's the word invitation. Invitation. I think for us tonight there is an invitation to experience Jesus himself through these gifts that he's given us of spiritual disciplines. And so tonight, if you have your Bibles, we're going to spend some time in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. It's also going to be on the screen here. Let's read, we'll pray, and then we'll see what invitations the Lord has for us tonight. This is verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. He says this, he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I'm going to read that again. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray, friends. King Jesus, we give you our attention. Lord, thank you for an evening and a night where we can come together as, uh, as your body, as a body of young people in this city who said that we want to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray that tonight that all eyes would be on you. I pray that tonight, Jesus, that blinders, the things that would distract us and take our vision away from King Jesus would be removed. Lord, I pray that we would see the face of God. We would hear the voice of God as we hear your loving invitations to us tonight. And so, Holy Spirit, I give you uh, permission to lead. We need you, God, not another talk. We need Jesus, and we need the Holy Spirit, and we need God the Father honored in our midst. And so, Lord, would you lead us, and would you receive glory, and would you receive honor and praise tonight? Lord, I do, I ask that everything that I speak, and I ask that everything that we hear and every meditation of our hearts, God, that it would be worship to you, that you'd see it as a good gift from your loving children to you, Jesus. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all of young adults said, amen. Amen and amen. Jesus in this passage, right, maybe somewhere around verse 6 or 7, you kind of started to like get the picture and maybe a little glaze over your eyes. You're like, okay, I'm hearing the word abide and fruit and vines. And I'm like, okay, what, what, is, what is happening here? Jesus is painting us a picture in this passage, a picture of what it looks like to live the life of discipleship. And one of the things that I love about this is that Jesus kind of starts from like, like the end. He like starts with like the end result. He talks about fruitfulness. Then he kind of works from there and talks about okay, abiding. And he says that like 50,000 times, abide, abide, abide. And then he talks about how we abide, right? One of the things I think is so funny, if you're like on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or wherever your social media is, right? Like this is the time of year that if you're on social media, you like start seeing pictures of people who are like really ripped, right? And like really chiseled. And you're like, wow, I wish I could look like that. Like, what do I need to do to look like that? And you're like, just pay them $15 a month. That's it. And then give them every day of your life to work out, right? They, what they do is they, they, like, they get you with the end result, right? Like, they paint this picture of, like, your life could be this way. And in some ways, Jesus is doing the same, right? He gives us the end result where he says, fruitfulness. Your life is supposed to be fruitful, overflowing, transformed, and formed in the image of Jesus. And then he works from there. So what we're going to do is follow even the same pattern. What I want to present to us tonight is even why do we practice spiritual disciplines? What is the invitation to and what is the invitation for? I think the end result, one of these things, first of all, for us, is that the invitation to spiritual disciplines is an invitation to become. It's an invitation to become. If you look in John 15, verse 8, this, this is what Jesus says. It says, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. This was a handful of years ago. Um, I, I used to live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Tulsa is great. But one of the things about Tulsa is that it's like a lot warmer than it is in Colorado. And all of you with like your beanies and Puff Coat said amen, right? It is chilly right now, but Tulsa is, is a lot warmer than Colorado. And um, my wife, in the years before we had babies, um, she just like expressed her nurturing needs by having plants. And so we have lots of plants. And so one of the things that I would do would be to like get her uh, like a really special plant, 
And her birthday came around one year, and I was like, okay, we were, we were talking, like the Lord was speaking a lot to us about peace and, and different things. And I was like, okay, what's something I could give to her that would be like an embodiment of this, like of peace? And I was like, an olive tree, right? Because that's a plant, and she likes plants, and olives are about peace. And so I get her this olive tree, and I have this picture in my head that I'm going to get her this olive tree, and then like that fall, or whenever olives grow, I don't actually know when that is, which you'll realize here in a sec, I, that we'd be like plucking olives off the tree and like, yeah, I don't, I, I just, I had this very like picturesque thing, like we'll have an olive tree, it's going to be great. But one of the things that I learned as I watched this teeny little olive tree grow is that you actually don't get olives from a tree in the first couple years that it's alive. It takes like a long time. And so we like cared for this olive tree year after year after year, and then we came to this year. And this thing has struggled in Colorado. It doesn't, it's not doing well. But like, like we, we saw, and it's like a little Charlie Brown olive tree. But one of the things that I saw was a single olive. And I was so excited, right? And I like pointed to Ellie and it's like, it's happening. It's here, right? And then it was going and over the months, like it got bigger. And then it started to ripen. And I'm like, I don't know if I can eat that olive, but I'm sure as heck going to try here in a little bit. And we're watching it. And one day um, we're playing with my two-year-old toddler. And she just kind of goes right up, grabs the olive and pulls it off and breaks all of our hopes and dreams in that moment. And so I never got to eat the olive. (laughs) Anyways, one of the things that I learned about fruitfulness is that it's a process of growth. It's a process of development. It's a process of beginning as one thing and then finishing as another thing. It's that olive tree, right? It started out as a, uh, as a, (laughs) what's a baby tree called? Thank you. As a sapling, right? And then it grew and it grew until it finally became fruitful. Did you know that the life of faith The life that Jesus has for you is one of growth, is one of change, is one of becoming, is one where you begin your life with Jesus as one thing, and you actually finish your life with Jesus as a different thing. Scripture has all kinds of different phrases for this, right? Paul says, those of you who are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Right, we see Paul even later on talking about the fruit of the Spirit. What does it produce? Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, things that abound in us in increasing measures and in increasing levels. I look around at many of us who are following Jesus, people who have been even lifelong followers of Jesus. And I think many of us are plagued at times with something that I'll call growth helplessness. We come to Jesus and we have this vision in our heads that, okay, I know that I need to put my faith in him and my trust in him. And he's my savior. And he saved me. And praise God, right, that Jesus is our savior. But then we, we almost like put a time out on that. And we, we forget that when Jesus is savior, the next step is Jesus being Lord. Is that when Jesus is savior, now he gets to be our king. And then he starts to change the things in our hearts. And that, <laughs> that the things that you are wrestling with today, let this be a hopeful message. The things that are, you are wrestling with today in the kingdom of God will not be plaguing you in the months and in the years to come. The journey of the life of faith and connection with Jesus, discipleship to Jesus, is one of growth, of glory to glory. It's one of transformation. I think about, there was a season of my life um, when I was living in Tulsa 
for a little while. And for, for many, many years, I'd been plagued with a deep sense of anxiety when it came to different relationships in my life. I, kind of one of the ways that like I'm wired is it's just really easy for me to walk into a social setting and, and automatically just start like uh, assessing my value based on the other people in the room. I don't know if you can relate with this at all. Right? I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it's one of the things that I'm susceptible to. And, and naturally, right, this either leaves me feeling awesome about myself or like really, really awful about myself. And it would produce just these deep levels of anxiety in myself where I'd always be like, where, where, where do I fit? How can I make myself seem bigger in other people's eyes? And it got really, really bad a handful of years ago. This was like probably six, seven years ago at this point. And what would happen is that this, this sense of anxiety in my relationships is that it, would, it, it kind of overflow, overflowed and became even a dynamic in my marriage where I was always worried. I was like, Ellie, like, are we good? Like if I would like make a mistake or say the wrong thing, it would just rack me. It would go into my relationship with the Lord, right? We're talking about spiritual disciplines. There'd be a moment where, like, if I, if I missed my, like, scheduled spiritual discipline of the day, my Bible reading that morning, I'd be lying there in the middle of the night feeling so much anxiety. What ended up happening is that the Lord lovingly, he, he started to invite me into a process where through sharing with other people, through bringing it and exposing it to them and through bringing it to the Lord, right, and doing some spiritual discipline, starting to meditate on scripture, getting good counsel, good wisdom, good advice, throwing myself literally on the mercy of God and saying, King Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a hot mess without you. In a process like that, my heart actually started to change. And I can say that I stand here today, not a completely free of anxiety, but I can say that the way that anxiety has a role in my life today is like nothing compared to what it was those years ago. The life of faith is a life where we grow, where we're transformed. There's a passage that Paul says in Romans 12 too. This is what he says. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. It says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. This word transformed is a, is a Greek word. It's, it's metamorpho. Metamorpho. We get the, uh, the word metamorphosis from this, right? Where like a caterpillar goes and has a little cocoon. And it's one thing when it goes into the cocoon, but then it's a different thing when it comes out of the cocoon. The life of faith is a life of becoming something new. It's a life of transformation. It's a life of being completely renovated in the way of Jesus. So if you're in this room, and if you're like me, and if you've experienced and wrestled with things like anxiety, depression, sexual addiction, disappointment, shame, um, bitterness, grouchiness, hopelessness, let me say to you that the, the, the Lord's best for you is freedom. And that the invitation to discipline, to come to Jesus, is an invitation that starts the work in our heart where we actually get formed into his image. The end result is a human heart that's completely transformed and is completely renovated. The Westminster Catechism talks about man's goals and, and, our, and our chief end is what it says. It says. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The only way that we do that is as transformed human beings. So we have an invitation to become tonight in this process. Second, our second invitation is that we have an invitation to abide. An invitation to abide, right? If you were listening to that passage, Jesus says the word abide, I think literally like seven to ten times. He says, we'll just even throw a couple of them between verses 3 and 9. He says, abide in me and I in you. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now this word abide, what's he talking about? What's he getting at here, right? This word abide, it's... Close to the word abode. It's this word of home. It's this word of rest. How many of you guys are transplants in Colorado? Let's go. How many of you guys are natives? That's the better question. (laughs) Okay, here's a question. If you moved here to the state when you were less than three, are you a native? No. No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got the the hardballers in the middle here. I'm not a native then, but my wife is. Where Where you call home... It says a lot about you, right? It actually kind of affects and determines who you are, right? Like, like it's kind of a funny stereotype, but it, but it is sort of true. Like, every single person from Canada I've ever met is extraordinarily polite, right? They're just like the nicest people in the world. If you're from the South, I feel like it's just baked in that you're probably a little passive aggressive, <laughs> right? Just, just like a smidge, just a smidge. If you're from Texas, how many, how many Texans in the room? A couple of you guys, right? You, you're probably just like a little obnoxious about Texas pride because Texas is not as good as Colorado. And you Californians, just, you always just show up where you're not wanted. So, <laughs> except, except for here. We want you here. We want, we want you. I'm, te- I'm teasing. I'm totally, I'm totally teasing. I lived in Oklahoma for the last five years. That's the place that nobody wants to visit. But and, and anyways, where you say your home is, it actually actually impacts you, right? It kind of changes who you are. It changes what you're like. And as we're talking about abiding in Jesus, he says, abide in me, abide in my love. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. What he's talking about is a, is a rested kind of relational connection, about a rested kind of friendship. How many of you guys have friends, like have a friend you've had for longer than 10 years, Right? I, at a certain point in most good friendships, you hit the, the stage where you can be in a car together and you don't have to make small talk. Have you ever hit that point with a friend? Right, where like you're sort of getting to know people and you sit in a car and you feel, you feel like you just have to fill the space, kind of get to know each other, it's kind of awkward. But there's a certain level of intimate connection where you can just be, you can just settle in, just be with someone. When we're talking, the invitation to abide in Jesus, it's an invitation to be in him to belong in him, to belong with him, to see him as he is and to let him see you as you are. I read a really interesting statistic the other week. Um, Did you know that uh, eye contact creates connection? It's like, no duh. But only after a really awkward amount of time. 
So if you're with somebody, right, and you're looking, making eye contact with them, your body around like 45 to 60 seconds of unbroken eye contact, your body starts to release these, um, these like bonding chemicals, oxytocin in your brain. And so what happens, right, is like you look at somebody and you just like feel awkward for 45 seconds and you really, really like them after that, right? But it's, it's this thing of like it's face-to-face connection that's extended where we're with one another. It actually creates a level of bonding and a level of intimacy. I want to read you a passage and then loop back around to that. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17, 18 says this. It says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then this, lock in with this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, and we all with unveiled faces. An invitation to abide in Jesus is an invitation to make eye contact with him. It's an invitation to look at him, even if it's an uncomfortable amount of time. I think many of us, we get in these rhythms, right, and so we're talking about spiritual disciplines. We're talking about ways that we can connect in with Jesus, things like prayer, things like fasting and worship, community, connection. We'll talk about a lot of these different things. But I think so so much of the time, right, we can get in this mode where we know we're supposed to do things and maybe we practice prayer a little bit. But it's like we, we expect to be connected to Jesus when we just like barely look up at him. If we're to be those who abide in Christ, we must cultivate a lifestyle of more than passing glances at Jesus. There's an invitation for us to learn the way of love with God. And it looks like cultivating practices that just put us in proximity to Jesus. And where we look at him in the face, where we get to know what he's like. I was really, really, I was over here praying for you guys, praying for tonight. And I really think, you guys, even as we're getting into this, this sermon series on spiritual disciplines, I think there are some of us in the room tonight who you feel an extreme level of resistance to things that are spiritual, like spiritual disciplines, things like prayer, even things like coming here to church tonight, um, because there is somewhere in your mind that you've missed who God actually is, that you've been presented a particular picture of Jesus, that maybe he's condemning or distant or irrelevant to you and to your life today. There's an invitation for us as a community to slow down and to get to know Jesus for who he really is. Because let me say to you, friends, if you look at Jesus for who he really is, it's like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, your life will be transformed from one degree of glory into another just by looking at the face of God and allowing him to transform you. Have you looked at him in the face? Have you rested with him? Have you sat with him? There's an invitation for you and for us to abide in Jesus, to settle in, to look at him in the face. So then the question is, how do we do it? Right, how do we do it? I can say, just go and look at Jesus. And you're like, he's not here, right? What does that mean? Right, there are ways that we can cultivate practices to abide in Jesus, which brings us to one of our last invitations of the evening. And that's an invitation to discipline. 
an invitation to discipline. Remember what I said at the beginning, right? Disciplines are the practices of disciples. We do disciplines when we're a disciple of someone. Jesus says in John 15, verse 10, says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This whole sermon series is around the word abide, right? So we're saying that we abide in Jesus and we cultivate practices of spiritual disciplines. But Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. I think about um, as a dad, I've learned a lot about God as a dad. There is this moment, right, where Eden will be doing something um, and, and I'll say, hey, don't do that, do this, right? And, and in the moment, the invitation for her is obedience, right? It's like you can either scream at the top of your lungs in the back seat or you can be obedient and read your book or do something like that, right? At the heart of that, right, true obedience, now, in the moment, right, as a dad, I, do, I want her to do what I'm asking her to do. But if you zoom out a little bit, at the heart of obedience is not that she would follow every single little black and white rule that I give to her. It's that she would get to know the character of the one who's giving her the instruction. And that from that place of connection, that obedience would be the natural outflow. And so for us tonight, right, Jesus says, those who love me obey my commandments. There are certain black and white things that God gives us, right? There are. There are things that he, he gives instructions on, do this, don't do this. This leads to death. But let me just say, if we live our entire lives only having to like look at do this and don't do this and do this and don't do this to follow Jesus, that's like living your whole life as a baby or as a toddler. The invitation for us is to actually get to know the one who's giving the instruction. And we get to know Jesus when we cultivate intimate connection with him through spiritual disciplines. And so here, as we're even kind of coming to an end in this, in this kind of phase, I want to just give us, um, here's my hope. My hope is that I would break some even misperceptions of what spiritual disciplines are and then give us some handholds moving forwards. So um, I stole all of these shamelessly from a book by this guy named John Ortberg. So you can go read that. It's called The Life You've Always Wanted. But he lays out, he says, things that spiritual disciplines are not and some things that spiritual disciplines are. And so tonight, spiritual disciplines are not. First, spiritual disciplines are not a barometer of spirituality. They're not a barometer of spirituality. Have you ever met somebody who like prays all the time and you're like, that really should be doing a better job with you being a jerk than it's doing? <laughs> right? You're like, there's a disconnect here somewhere. If that's, prayer should work better on you. Mark Twain has this like awesome line. He, says, he calls someone in one of his books, says that he's a good man in the worst sense of the word. Right? Of like, like it's, it's possible to be somebody who prays a lot and fasts a lot and goes to church a lot, but you're like a total jerk. <laughs> right? Spiritual disciplines are not a barometer of spirituality. They're not. Love is a barometer of spirituality. Growing in love, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, growing in love for God and love for others, which gives us a clue, right, that spiritual disciplines, one of the goals is to grow in love. So spiritual disciplines are not a barometer of spirituality. Second, spiritual disciplines are not necessarily unpleasant. They're not necessarily unpleasant. I think some of us can have this picture in our heads that um, to follow Jesus means to do like the worst 
possible thing in the world where you're like, I, like, I don't want to tell Jesus that I want to live like here in Colorado Springs, otherwise he's going to send me to Africa, right? Or like, I don't want to like, like we, we just had this thing in our, in our head that, that like, like prayer is going to be somber, but I'm going to grit through it, right? Spiritual disciplines can be joyful and they should be joyful, right? They're not always easy, but they're not always necessarily unpleasant. And then last, spiritual disciplines are not a way to earn favor with God. Jesus has given you the full love poured out through Jesus Christ. It's like Romans 8, right? What can separate you from the love of God? Can height or depth or missing your prayer time in the morning or not coming to church on a Tuesday night? No, right? Nothing. And all of creation can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. There's this interesting passage in the book of Job. This is verse, uh, chapter 35, kind of near the end. Um, Job is like a total wreck at this point. And one of his friends is looking at him and they're having this whole discussion about why do we do good things and why do we do bad things. And his friend looks at him and he says, if you've sinned, what do you accomplish against him, against God? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you give to him? But then he says, but if you're righteous, what do you give to him? What does he receive from your hand? It's this moment where we don't practice spiritual disciplines to curry something from God. They're not spiritual manipulation to get God to pay more attention to you. Spiritual disciplines are practices that we do as an expression of love and to grow in love, a love that we already have received from God. So spiritualisms are not necessarily unpleasant. I'm bouncing around, sorry. Barometer of spirituality, necessarily unpleasant, and they're not a way to earn favor with God. What are spiritual disciplines? First of all, spiritual disciplines are for everyone. They're for everyone. This was about a year and a half ago. Um, Ellie and I got a YMCA membership, and I felt like a total dad, but I was like rolling in there, right? I'm like, this is great. And we're at the Y, and the Y does these things, um, they do like workout classes. And Ellie and I, this is probably our last New Year's resolution that we stopped, we were like, we should do, we should do exercise classes together. And we sign up for them. Um, and there's this exercise class, it's called body pump, and you're just there, and you just lift like, like five pounds, but you do it like a million times, right? And I go there, and I see all these like ladies, and then I see like some grandmas, and then I see this other like big beefy ripped dude, and I like make eye contact with him, like I'm going to go stand by you. Like we're going to work out together, we're going to stretch each other, we're going to press each other. What we do is we both go, and we put a bunch of weight on that bar, and we're like, we are the coolest. We're doing the thing, right? And these little soccer moms are kind of like bouncing around and they're like wearing their scrunchies and they put like little five pound weights and I look at it and I'm like, watch this, right? And you like slap your weight on and you get going. But then like, like 30 minutes becomes, it's very, very long, right? And you're there and you're moving and you're moving and I like make eye contact with this big guy and like the panic is rising in both of our eyes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think we can do this. I don't think we can we, And we go and we go and we go. And like literally 10 minutes in, we're just like gassed out. And I'm taking all of the weight off my bar. And I'm like just trying to move just the bar itself. And this little soccer mom's there with her five-pound weight, just doing her thing, right? Like she knew this was going to happen the whole entire time, right? We think that, that spiritual disciplines are for, like, are for like spiritual heavyweights, right? Like the people who like to pray. Or the people who actually enjoy going to church at the 9 a.m. service. <laughs> right? Or the people who read the Bible for fun. 
or the people who don't watch Netflix at night or something like that, right? But, but the thing about spiritual disciplines is that, is that they're for everybody, right? They're for me, thinking I'm all that, but they're also for the soccer mom, and they're for the grandma, and, so, and they're, they're for people, they're, they're for those of us who've been walking with Jesus our entire lives, but they're also for those of you, us in the room who feel like you have no idea what this Jesus thing is about. And you're just here because somebody invited you and you need friends. And maybe you're a little curious about God being real and maybe that he's interested in your life. They're for you. There's an invitation for you to talk to the God who made you. Right? They're for everybody. They're for everybody. Next is that spiritual disciplines take into account personality, gifting, and life season. When I was 16 years old, I started following Jesus, and I got, like, real zealous real fast, and it was awesome in one hand, but I probably would have annoyed you on the other, because, like, I was just talking about Jesus all the time. I was using, like, really weird, hyper-spiritual words, but, like, I just committed myself. I was like, okay, I am going to pray an hour every morning and an hour every evening. And I was like, and, and that's what I'm doing. And I did it. And I made a prayer closet, and, and it was awesome for a season, right? I really experienced Jesus. But I was also in a season of my life when I wasn't working a job, and my entire commitment was going to school for 25 hours a week. And then the rest of the time I could spend my parents' money and drive their cars. Right? That was, that was my life season, right? Now I look today, and this morning... Um, I got up earlier than I normally do to get some time with Jesus, and my two-year-old woke me up about 10 minutes after I did that. And I'm there, and I'm sitting, and I felt really tempted to be frustrated or discouraged, right? Or even, like, looking at myself and being like, oh, Josh, like, you should have gotten up 15 minutes earlier than you did or 30 minutes earlier than you did. God knows what it's like to be you. And he's not over here wishing that you were doing all of the things that you could do in a different season or expecting you to be some spiritual superhero if your life season does not allow you to be. I think there's this story. So John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement um, back in the 1700s. Um, and there's a story about his childhood growing up where his mom was more or less a single mom. She had something like 10 kids. And her life was chaos. Right? And, but she was trying to follow Jesus and love the Lord and disciple her children. And, but she just never had a moment to be alone. Right? And so the story goes that she would just sit down in her living room and she'd take her apron and flip it over her head. And she'd tell her kids, like, if you see the apron on my head, like, don't you come talk to me. Like, I'm talking to Jesus. What happened is that that's a spiritual discipline that fit into her life. And so for us tonight, as we're even approaching this idea of spiritual disciplines, there's not a formula of what it has to look like. It's an invitation to experience Jesus in your real life based upon your real personality and who, and who you are, your real gifting. Thomas Akempis has this one line. He says, um, he's a, uh, like 1500s, wrote about spiritual devotion to Jesus. He says, not everyone can have the same devotion. One exactly suits this person, another that. Different exercises likewise are suitable for different times. So as we're approaching this journey to follow Jesus and practice spiritual disciplines, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to take the first one that we talk about next week or the one after that and get in your head that you're going to do it every single day for ad infinitum, right, or like two hours a day because I think that's going to result in, it, it, it could potentially result in discouragement. 
as opposed to slowing down, asking God what he wants to invite you into and letting it be a relationship journey with Jesus, right? Spiritual disciplines, they take into account personality, gifting, and life season. And then last here, uh, spiritual disciplines, they begin with a choice. They begin with a choice. There is a, a moment for each of us where we, we come to Jesus and we say, I am going to follow you. I want to follow you. And we actually make an, orienta- an orientation kind of decision. With spiritual disciplines, you guys, it's the same way. We make a choice to engage in it. And so even as we kind of come to, to a close here tonight, I want to invite the band up. Um, I want to give you an invitation just to be open. I want to give you an invitation to, uh, to choose to meet Jesus through spiritual disciplines. And I don't want you to put like a, a label on what that looks like. I don't want you to sit here and say, I'm going to do this practice and this practice and this practice. Or I also don't want you to just write the whole thing off. Remember, it's not obligation or expectation. This is about invitation. This is about invitation tonight. And so if you want to even go ahead and stand up with me. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a moment of prayer where we look Jesus in the face. Um, And we either say yes or no. (laughs) This might sound kind of silly, but but Jesus is here tonight. And he's giving you an invitation to connect with him. He's giving you an invitation to get to know him better through some of these spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines. And so if you even want to just be still for a moment. And picture Jesus in your mind. I just ask Holy Spirit that you'd come. I ask Holy Spirit that you'd come. And Lord, I pray that you would make this invitation personal. Lord, for each of my friends, for each of my brothers and sisters in this room, I I ask that you'd make this personal. That they wouldn't just see you as a distant uh, religious figure, but they would see you... um, that they would see you as the God who crafted them, standing in front of them and inviting them into friendship with you, inviting them into a journey, an invitation into discipline, an invitation into abiding, an invitation into becoming. Lord, I pray you'd make it personal. And friends, if this is a journey that you want to go on with Jesus, even just there very quietly in your own words, just say, yes, Jesus. Say, Jesus, I I accept your invitation. I lovingly give you my RSVP. I say, yes. Jesus, I, I want to go on this journey with you. Would you lead me? I'm going to go on this journey with you. One last invitation I do want to give tonight. Because we're talking about connection with God and we're talking about connection with Jesus and abiding in Him. Every single person's journey and walk with Jesus 
it starts first with an invitation to believe. It starts with, <laughs> it starts with us coming to Jesus, to the face of God with open hands, right, as sinners who, who stand genuinely condemned in our sin before God, separated from God, dead. Without Jesus, you're dead, friends. And then looking Jesus in the face, right, the God who crafted you coming down as a human being to live a perfect life, to carry your burdens and your mistakes on his back on the cross, right, going into the ground and then coming out of the ground and sitting at the, the right hand of God the Father. We confessed it, right, at the beginning of this. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. As he ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God. And he will come again. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. There will be a day, friends, when every one of us will stand before God. And there is an invitation for us tonight to believe. That is the commandment of God. He says, come and believe. It's faith, it's trust. And so before we ever say yes to any invitation to disciplines or to do spiritual activities or to get to know God, there has to be a yes to believe. And so if you're in this room and if you have not made a decision to believe God, to put all of your trust in King Jesus, Him as a human, Him as a person, Him as fully God, then that's the starting place. That's the place to begin. And it's really easy, it's really simple. And so if that's you tonight, and you want to even just pray with me. If this is you tonight, yeah, pray these words with me. Just say, King Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I'm far from you. Lord, and my life has resulted in spiritual distance and death. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in Jesus. You have my whole life as Savior and my whole life as Lord. Jesus, save me. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Friends, we're going to go back into worship here for a moment. Um, but man, genuinely, genuinely, if this, if this is you and you're, and you're feeling the Lord stirring you in your heart, um, don't leave without talking to me or without talking to some of our volunteers here. We want to talk to you about what that means, about what the journey of following Jesus is like. But love you guys. We'll worship. I'll come back up and dismiss us. But let's, let's praise the Lord as we go to